Welcome back to another World Audiobooks. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. It is so cool to see the podcast just continuing to grow. If you're new to the podcast and haven't checked out the backlist, you might want to do that. There are tons and tons of episodes at this point. I don't know. I've lost track of how many episodes we've got. So check it out. Tons of awesome audiobooks in the backlist there for you to check up. And there's also um, little samples of some indie authors that I was able to feature on the podcast. So check those out, too. Those are a lot of fun and might get you kind of wet, wet your appetite for, for some other books that are are fun to read so check it out and um but uh, don't do it right now because right now you're listening to this (laughs) next chapter of emma chapter three this little explanation with mr knightley gave emma considerable pleasure it was one of the agreeable recollections of the ball which she walked about the lawn the next morning to enjoy She was extremely glad that they had come to so good an understanding respecting the Eltons, and that their opinions of both husband and wife were so much alike. And his praise of Harriet, his concession in her favour, was peculiarly gratifying. The impertinence of the Eltons, which for a few minutes had threatened to ruin the rest of her evening, had been the occasion of some of its highest satisfactions, and she looked forward to another happy result the cure of Harriet's infatuation. From Harriet's manner of speaking of the circumstance before they quitted the ballroom, she had strong hopes. It seemed as if her eyes were suddenly opened, and she were enabled to see that Mr. Elton was not the superior creature she had believed him. The fever was over, and Emma could harbour little fear of the pulse being quickened again by injurious courtesy. She depended on the evil feelings of the Eltons for supplying all the discipline of pointed neglect that could be farther requisite. Harriet rational, Frank Churchill not too much in love, and Mr. Knightley not wanting to quarrel with her. How very happy a summer must be before her. She was not to see Frank Churchill this morning. He had told her that he could not allow himself the pleasure of stopping at Hartfield, as he was to be at home by the middle of the day. She did not regret it. Having arranged all these matters, looked them through, and put them all to rights, she was just turning to the house with spirits freshened up for the demands of the two little boys, as well as their grandpapa, when the great iron sweep-gate opened, and two persons entered whom she had never less expected to see together, Frank Churchill and Harriet leaning on his arm. Actually, Harriet! A moment sufficed to convince her that something extraordinary had happened— Harriet looked white and frightened, and he was trying to cheer her. The iron gates and the front door were not twenty yards asunder. They were all three soon in the hall, and Harriet immediately sinking into a chair fainted away. A young lady who faints must be recovered. Questions must be answered, and surprises be explained. Such events are very interesting, but the suspense of them cannot last long. A few minutes made Emma acquainted with the whole. Miss Smith and Miss Bickerton, another parlour boarder at Mrs. Goddard's, who had been also at the ball, had walked out together and taken a road, the Richmond Road, which, though apparently public enough for safety, had led them into alarm. About half a mile beyond Highbury, making a sudden turn and deeply shaded by elms on each side, it became for a considerable stretch very retired, and when the young ladies had advanced some way into it, They had suddenly perceived at a small distance before them, on a broader patch of greensward by the side, a party of gypsies. A child on the watch came towards them to beg, 
and Miss Biggerton, excessively frightened, gave a great scream, and calling on Harriet to follow her, ran up a steep bank, cleared a slight hedge at the top, and made the best of her way by a shortcut back to Highbury. But poor Harriet could not follow. She had suffered very much from cramp after dancing, and her first attempt to mount the bank brought on such a return of it as made her absolutely powerless, and in this state, and exceedingly terrified, she had been obliged to remain. How the trappers might have behaved, had the young ladies been more courageous, must be doubtful, but such an invitation for attack could not be resisted, and Harriet was soon assailed by half a dozen children, headed by a stout woman and a great boy, all clamorous and impertinent in look, though not absolutely in word. More and more frightened, she immediately promised them money, and taking out her purse, gave them a shilling, and begged them not to want more, or to use her ill. She was then able to walk, though but slowly, and was moving away, but her terror and her purse were too tempting, and she was followed, or rather surrounded, by the whole gang, demanding more. In this state, Frank Churchill had found her, she trembling and conditioning, they loud and insolent. By a most fortunate chance, his leaving Highbury had been delayed so as to bring him to her assistance at this critical moment. The pleasantness of the morning had induced him to walk forward, and leave his horses to meet him by another road, a mile or two beyond Highbury. And, happening to have borrowed a pair of scissors the night before of Miss Bates, and to have forgotten to restore them, he had been obliged to stop at her door, and go in for a few minutes. He was therefore later than he had intended, and, being on foot, was unseen by the whole party till almost close to them. The terror which the woman and boy had been creating in Harriet was then their own portion. He had left them completely frightened, and Harriet eagerly clinging to him, and hardly able to speak, had just strength enough to reach Hartfield, before her spirits were quite overcome. It was his idea to bring her to Hartfield. He had thought of no other place. This was the amount of the whole story, of his communication and of Harriet's as soon as she had recovered her senses and speech. He dared not stay longer than to see her well. These several delays left him not another minute to lose. And Emma, engaging to give assurance of her safety to Mrs. Goddard, and notice of there being such a set of people in the neighbourhood to Mr. Knightley, he set off, with all the grateful blessings that she could utter for her friend and herself. Such an adventure as this! A fine young man, and a lovely young woman, thrown together in such a way, could hardly fail of suggesting certain ideas to the coldest heart and the steadiest brain. So Emma thought, at least. Could a linguist, could a grammarian, could even a mathematician have seen what she did, have witnessed their appearance together, and heard their history of it, without feeling that circumstances had been at work to make them peculiarly interesting to each other? How much more must an imaginist like herself be on fire with speculation and foresight, especially with such a groundwork of anticipation as her mind had already made? It was a very extraordinary thing. Nothing of the sort had ever occurred before to any young ladies in the place within her memory. No rencontre, no alarm of the kind. And now it had happened to the very person, and at the very hour, when the other very person was chancing to pass by to rescue her. It certainly was very extraordinary, and knowing, as she did, the favourable state of mind of each at this period, it struck her the more. He was wishing to get the better of his attachment to herself, she just recovering from her mania for Mr. Elton. 
It seemed as if everything united to promise the most interesting consequences. It was not possible that the occurrence should not be strongly recommending each to the other. In the few minutes' conversation which she had yet had with him, while Harriet had been partially insensible, he had spoken of her terror, her naivety, her fervor as she seized and clung to his arm, with a sensibility amused and delighted. And just at last, after Harriet's own account had been given, he had expressed his indignation at the abominable folly of Miss Brickerton in the warmest terms. Everything was to take its natural course, however, neither impelled nor assisted. She would not stir a step, nor drop a hint. No, she had had enough of interference. There could be no harm in a scheme, a mere passive scheme. It was no more than a wish— Beyond it, she would on no account proceed. Emma's first resolution was to keep her father from the knowledge of what had passed, aware of the anxiety and alarm it would occasion, but she soon felt that concealment must be impossible. Within half an hour it was known all over Highbury. It was the very event to engage those who talk most, the young and the low. And all the youth and servants in the place were soon in the happiness of frightful news. The last night's ball seemed lost in the gypsies. Poor Mr. Woodhouse trembled as he sat, and, as Emma had foreseen, would scarcely be satisfied without their promising never to go beyond the shrubbery again. It was some comfort to him that many inquiries after himself and Miss Woodhouse, for his neighbours knew that he loved to be inquired after, as well as Miss Smith, were coming in during the rest of the day, and he had the pleasure of returning for answer that they were all very indifferent— which, though not exactly true, for she was perfectly well, and Harriet not much otherwise, Emma would not interfere with. She had an unhappy state of health in general for the child of such a man, for she hardly knew what indisposition was, and if he did not invent illnesses for her, she could make no figure in a message. The gypsies did not wait for the operations of justice. They took themselves off in a hurry. The young ladies of Highbury might have walked again in safety before their panic began, and the whole history dwindled soon into a matter of little importance, but to Emma and her nephews. In her imagination it maintained its ground, and Henry and John were still asking every day for the story of Harriet and the gypsies, and still tenaciously setting her right if she varied in the slightest particular from the original recital. Chapter 4 a very few days had passed after this adventure when Harriet came one morning to Emma with a small parcel in her hand, and, after sitting down and hesitating, thus began. "'Miss Woodhouse, if you are at leisure, I have something that I should like to tell you, a sort of confession to make, and then, you know, it will be over.' Emma was a good deal surprised, but begged her to speak. There was a seriousness in Harriet's manner which prepared her, quite as much as her words, for something more than ordinary. "'It is my duty, and I am sure it is my wish,' she continued, "'to have no reserves with you on this subject. As I am happily quite an altered creature in one respect, it is very fit that you should have the satisfaction of knowing it. I do not want to say more than is necessary.' I am too much ashamed of having given away as I have done, and I dare say you understand me. Yes, said Emma. 
I hope I do. How I could so long a time be fancying myself, cried Harriet warmly. It seems like madness. I can see nothing at all extraordinary in him now. I do not care whether I meet him or not, except that of the two I had rather not see him. And indeed, I would go any distance round to avoid him, but I do not envy his wife in the least. I neither admire her nor envy her, as I have done. She is very charming, I dare say, and all that, but I think her very ill-tempered and disagreeable. I shall never forget her look the other night. However, I assure you, Miss Woodhouse, I wish her no evil. No, let them be ever so happy together. It will not give me another moment's pang. And to convince you that I have been speaking truth, I am now going to destroy what I ought to have destroyed long ago, what I ought never to have kept. I know that very well, blushing as she spoke. However, now I will destroy it all, and it is my particular wish to do it in your presence, that you may see how rational I am grown. Cannot you guess what this parcel holds? said she with a conscious look. Not the least in the world. Did he ever give you anything? No, I cannot call them gifts, but they are things that I valued very much. She held the parcel towards her, and Emma read the words, Most Precious Treasures, on the top. Her curiosity was greatly excited. Harriet unfolded the parcel, and she looked on with impatience. Within the abundance of silver paper was a pretty little Tunbridge-ware box, which Harriet opened. It was well lined with the softest cotton, but, excepting the cotton, Emma saw only a small piece of court plaster. Now, said Harriet, you must recollect. No, indeed, I do not. Dear me! I should not have thought it possible you could forget what passed in this very room about court plaster, one of the very last times we ever met in it. It was but a very few days before I had my sore throat, just before Mr. and Mrs. John Knightley came, I think the very evening. Do not you remember his cutting his finger with your new penknife, and your recommending court plaster? But, as you had none about you, and knew I had, you desired me to supply him— and so I took mine out and cut him a piece. But it was a great deal too large, and he cut it smaller and kept playing some time with what was left before he gave it back to me. And so then, in my nonsense, I could not help making a treasure of it. So I put it by never to be used, and looked at it now and then as a great treat. "'My dearest Harriet,' cried Emma, putting her hand before her face and jumping up, you make me more ashamed of myself than I can bear. Remember it. I, I remember it all now, all except your saving this relic. I knew nothing of that till this moment, but the cutting the finger, and my recommending court plaster, and saying I had none about me. Oh, my sins, my sins! And I had plenty all the while in my pocket, one of my senseless tricks. I deserve to be under a continual blush all the rest of my life. Well... "'sitting down again. "'Go on. "'What else?' "'And had you really some at hand yourself? "'I am sure I never suspected it. "'You did it so naturally.' "'And so you actually put this piece of court plaster by for his sake?' "'said Emma, recovering from her state of shame "'and feeling divided between wonder and amusement. "'And secretly she added to herself, 
Lord, bless me, when should I ever have thought of putting by in cotton a piece of cold plaster that Frank Churchill had been pulling about? I never was equal to this. Here, resumed Harriet, turning to her box again, here is something still more valuable. I mean, that has been more valuable, because this is what did really once belong to him, which the court plaster never did. Emma was quite eager to see this superior treasure. It was the end of an old pencil, the part without any lead. This was really his, said Emma. Do not you remember one morning? No, I dare say you do not, but one morning, I forget exactly the day, but perhaps it was the Tuesday or Wednesday before that evening. He wanted to make a memorandum in his pocket-book. It was about spruce beer. Mr. Knightley had been telling him something about brewing spruce beer, and he wanted to put it down. But when he took out his pencil, there was so little lead that he soon cut it all away, and would not do. So you lent him another, and this was left upon the table as good for nothing. But I kept my eye on it and as soon as I dared, caught it up, and never parted with it again from that moment. "'I do remember it,' cried Emma. "'I perfectly remember it, talking about spruce beer. Oh, yes, Mr. Knightley and I both saying we liked it, and Mr. Elton seeming resolved to learn to like it too. I perfectly remember it. Stop, Mr. Knightley was standing just here, was not he? I have an idea he was standing just here.' Ah, "'I do not know.' I cannot recollect. It is very odd, but I cannot recollect. Mr. Elton was sitting here, I remember, much about where I am now. Well, go on. Oh, that's all. I have nothing more to show you, or to say, except that I am now going to throw them both behind the fire, and I wish you to see me do it. My poor dear Harriet, and have you actually found happiness in treasuring up these things? Yes. "'Simpleton as I was. "'But I am quite ashamed of it now, "'and wish I could forget as easily as I can burn them. "'It was very wrong of me, you know, "'to keep any remembrances after he was married. "'I knew it was, but I had not resolution enough to part with them.' "'But, Harriet, is it necessary to burn the court plaster? "'I have not a word to say for the bit of old pencil, "'but the court plaster might be useful.' "'I shall be happier to burn it,' replied Harriet. It has a disagreeable look to me. I must get rid of everything. There it goes, and there is an end, thank heaven, of Mr. Elton. And when, thought Emma, will there be a beginning of Mr. Churchill? She had soon afterwards reason to believe that the beginning was already made, and could not but hope that the gypsy, though she had told no fortune, might be proved to have made Harriet's. About a fortnight after the alarm, they came to a sufficient explanation, and quite undesignedly. Emma was not thinking of it at the moment, which made the information she received more valuable. She merely said, in the course of some trivial chat, "'Well, Harriet, whenever you marry, I would advise you to do so-and-so,' and thought no more of it, till, after a minute's silence, she heard Harriet say in a very serious tone, "'I shall never marry.' Emma then looked up, and immediately saw how it was, and, after a moment's debate, as to whether it should pass unnoticed or not, replied, "'Never marry? This is a new resolution.' "'It is one that I shall never change, however.' After another short hesitation, 
I hope it does not proceed from... I hope it is not in compliment to Mr. Elton. Mr. Elton, indeed, cried Harriet indignantly. Oh, no. And Emma could just catch the words, So superior to Mr. Elton. She then took a longer time for consideration. Should she proceed no farther? Should she let it pass and seem to suspect nothing? Perhaps Harriet might think her cold or angry if she did. Or perhaps if she were totally silent, it might only drive Harriet into asking her to hear too much. And against anything like such an unreserve as had been, such an open and frequent discussion of hopes and chances, she was perfectly resolved. She believed it would be wiser for her to say, and know at once, all that she meant to say and know. Plain dealing was always best. She had previously determined how far she would proceed on any application of the sort, and it would be safer for both to have the judicious law of her own brain laid down with speed. She was decided, and thus spoke, "'Harriet, I will not affect to be in doubt of your meaning.' Your resolution, or rather your expectation of never marrying, results from an idea that the person whom you might prefer would be too greatly your superior in situation to think of you. Is not it so? Oh, Miss Woodhouse, believe me, I have not the presumption to suppose. Indeed, I am not so mad. But it is a pleasure to me to admire him at a distance, and to think of his infinite superiority to all the rest of the world— with the gratitude, wonder, and veneration, which are so proper, in me especially. I am not at all surprised at you, Harriet. The service he rendered you was enough to warm your heart. Service? Oh, it was such an inexpressible obligation. The very recollection of it, and all that I felt at the time, when I saw him coming, his noble look, and my wretchedness before, such a change, in one moment such a change, from perfect misery to perfect happiness. It is very natural. It is natural, and it is honourable. Yes, honourable, I think, to choose so well and so gratefully. But that it will be a fortunate preference is more than I can promise. I do not advise you to give way to it, Harriet. I do not by any means engage for its being returned. Consider what you are about. Perhaps it will be wisest in you to check your feelings while you can. At any rate, do not let them carry you far, unless you are persuaded of his liking you. Be observant of him. Let his behaviour be the guide of your sensations. I give you this caution now, because I shall never speak to you again on the subject. I am determined against all interference. Henceforward, I know nothing of the matter." Let no name ever pass our lips. We were very wrong before. We will be cautious now. He is your superior, no doubt, and there do seem objections and obstacles of a very serious nature. But yet, Harriet, more wonderful things have taken place. There have been matches of greater disparity. But take care of yourself. I would not have you too sanguine. Though, however it may end, be assured your raising your thoughts to him is a mark of good taste which I shall always know how to value. Harriet kissed her hand in silent and submissive gratitude. Emma was very decided in thinking such an attachment no bad thing for her friend. Its tendency would be to raise and refine her mind, and it must be saving her from the danger of degradation.
Thanks again, guys, for listening. Uh, yeah, this is a uh, labor of love, what I'm doing here, and I just thank you, everyone, so much for supporting the podcast, especially to the patrons who are supporting the podcast financially, which is amazing. Thank you guys so much for doing that. If you want to do it, go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com and just click on Become a Patron. Thanks again so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.